Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That was Milk, and uh, I'm actually going to do an interview with her sometime soon, so I'm hoping to share that with you as well. Uh, that was called The Wild. So uh, standing by to kick off the show is Annie Hartnett. We're going to talk about her brilliant new book, Unlikely Animals. Welcome to the show, Annie. Thanks so much for having me. Congratulations. This is no easy feat, you know, getting a book published, especially in a pandemic. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it was um, quite... We sold it in January 2020, and we started edits in March 2020 when I lost childcare. So I wrote oh. the book at 3.30 in the morning. No! So I'm glad <laughs> it's in the world. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, talk about... I mean, I... We'll talk about the character in the book, but, you know, imagining different animals and things talking to you, and I'd be hallucinating at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, yeah, I, it was, um, and well, and I was still, I was still editing the book um, when I, when I gave, I only have one kid, and I gave birth to her, and I was not quite done with the book, so I, I worked on it for the first six months of her life, starting 10 days out of the hospital, and um, definitely oh, there were times when I was reading it on my cell phone at 3 a.m. up with her and just totally lost touch with reality. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah, if, when people read the book, um, I think that that's knowing that there is um, maybe well, there was real hallucinating going on uh, for me. <laughs> I mean, I, I recall being up all hours of the night nursing, so I can't imagine thinking, oh, now I'm going to go work on my book because I was just such a train wreck when it came to sleep. Yeah, in some ways, I'm at my happiest when I am creating something. So yes. it really like kept me afloat during that time. Sure. Um, I felt like I was fighting to sort of retain who I was before being a mom. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it was intense. I, I think I made it harder for myself in some ways. Amazing. So uh, one last thing. Did you sleep when the baby slept during the day? No. <laughs> Does anybody? I tried to. You did? You did? I did. No, I just, yeah. I just wrote during the day. Oh, my gosh. And, um, Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I, I'm, I'm okay with little sleep. But... Oh, you are? Oh, okay. That's good. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think everyone has a different threshold oh, yeah. for what they can handle. That is outstanding. So tell me about the book. It has an interesting uh, backstory because you were visiting friends in New Hampshire. Yeah, so the book, so the book is my second book. It's called Unlikely Animals. My first was Rabbit Cake, and... Um, as second books, it's very common for second books to be harder to write than the first one. You kind of you felt like you used up all your ideas that you had gathered up for, you know, your whole life up until that point. So that's how I was feeling. And I was writing a book that is still much, much of the plot of the book that was about a young woman who is a healer who returns home to her town to take care of her dying father who is suffering from a brain disease. So he's the one who's hallucinating. Um, but it was missing something for me. I, it didn't have the same sort of like oomph or like power that the first one had. Okay. Um, so I was kind of trying to figure out why. Um, and I'm visiting friends in New Hampshire and I'm driving along this sort of small town in New Hampshire. There's really nothing in this part of the town. There's pine trees, there's a covered bridge, there's uh, a river. And I look up and I see this huge, beautiful yellow mansion that looks like the nicest spa you've ever seen. Um, 
Nice. And it looks like a huge hotel, and I'm just like, what is this place? Can we go there? Mm-hmm. But there's no trespassing signs at the base of the driveway. And so I'm like, oh, that's someone's private residence. So I look up huge yellow, yellow mansion, Newport, New Hampshire. Yes. Find out that it was um, a Gilded Age millionaire who had moved back to that town where he had been born after he retired making his millions in all these different industries. And... Um, Built, um, knocked down the house he was born in, except for the room he was born in, which I think is so creepy. That is really um, and then creepy. Built that house around it, um, and it's still there. And then I find out as I keep looking up at this person that he, with his retirement millions, um, fenced in twenty six thousand acres, and um, it's a it was an exotic animal hunting park um, that was his retirement project. Um, wait, and then I, wait, I find out me, that the wait, park is me. still there. Wait. I I couldn't get my brain around the 26,000 acres. Yeah, I mean, that's like three-fifths the size of Washington, D.C. It's huge. If it were if it were public land, um, it would be the biggest national park in New Hampshire. Um, uh. But it is privately owned. It's still intact today, and it's privately owned by um, about 25 anonymous millionaires who kind of ha- each have a share of the park. Okay. Um, so I, you know, first I find out about the history, then I find out it's still there, and I write dark, like, funny dark comedies that are, I, I like my characters to, you know, have cell phones and use the internet, because it's just, I like to write about many things that I see in the world, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to write, someone should write the historical fiction of that story, but it wasn't, wasn't what I was going to try to do. Um, but I was still obsessed, so I started going to the historical society in town, um, and then that's where I found out about um, the naturalist of the park who was who worked there um, from 1904 until his death in 1925. And he lived at the edge of the park. His name was Ernest Harold Baines. And he was a real-life Dr. Doolittle with bears in his house, with foxes in his house. He could Whoa. just go up to a skunk and pick it up. Um, <laughs> his whole life, he used to get in trouble in boarding school for having a hedgehog in his pocket. Um, <laughs> so I love animals, and that was just like, and that was whimsical in the way that I write and like. So he had to be in the book. Um, and at that point, I was just had to write about it. So he becomes, he is a ghost in the book. So the father, who is suffering from a brain disease, has been hallucinating small animals. But he also sort of conjures up the ghost of this real-life Dr. Doolittle. Um, so he is very much a character in the book. And I was able to use his real writings and real photographs throughout the book as like a, a texture to see how like how these two time periods are connected because it's it's the book is most of the book is set in 2014 but um this guy died in 1925 i had a quick question so so he buys the 26,000 acres he builds his mcmansion but he um he has he has these exotic animals on the grounds but then people can hunt them so originally his idea was that he wanted to bring all the animals of the world to live together in harmony um, so he wasn't originally a hunting com- compound. He originally just wanted to bring actually non-predator animals. Um, so he bought in tons of antelope. At the time, white-tailed deer had been hunted out of New England. Um, so when the white-tailed deer showed up, um, everyone in town came to see this really exotic animal, which is just so funny. As you know, if you live in New England, you see deer all the time and try not to hit them with your car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And also he brought in beaver, which had been hunted out in New England. He brought in um, bison, which are not New England animals. Um, and he actually, that would end up being important later because 
um, because Teddy Roosevelt had seen the um, bison in the park, he um, helped with the American Bison Project. Okay. Um, so bison, and some of those bison that were in the New Hampshire park were ended up being shipped out to Yellowstone to help that like nearly extinct population bounce back. Um, but so hunting started beca- actually because of the white-tailed deer. Um, they exploded, and there were no predators. And so hunting started, and then it became like a, a rich man's paradise to come and visit this Gilded Age millionaire and his family and go hunt in the park. Now, are some of your most creative moments in, as a writer at 3 a.m.? Like, do you, do you wake up the next day and then say, wow, I thought of that at 3 a.m.? Um, I think actually most of my most creative, like, strikes of brilliance happen when I'm doing something. And this happens to a lot of people when you're doing something that's automatic, like, you know, mowing the lawn or washing yes. the dishes or taking a shower. Yes. Um, because that's when your brain gets in. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if I've really had, I've made myself work at 3 a.m., but mm-hmm. I don't know if I have really. <laughs> I, you know, it's so funny. My first uh, statement was going to be, I have good ideas while I'm mowing the lawn. Because, you know, it's usually when I'm doing something else. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, going for a walk, doing anything that, like, yeah. lets your brain sort of disconnect. I'm, you know, that's where ideas come from for whatever reason. I don't understand it. But. Definitely. How did you decide to make this a dark comedy? Um, that is something I probably will always have to write because that is, like, my mode. Um, the You know, it, it's a book that covers a lot of pretty dark topics. It's a, it's a book that is um, a lot about the opioid crisis. Um, yeah. And for whatever reason, my, and there are many people like me who have sort of a wry sense of humor, the way that we operate and get through the heart of things is to make jokes about them. So... I always um, make sure to to edit my humor to make sure that nothing ever gets mean. That's a rule that I have. That um, that's good. It's one thing to be dark, but it's another thing to be mean. So that's yeah. that's like my how, my how I edit my my humor. But for the most part, humor just comes out, and I don't edit the jokes. I either delete the jokes, but mm-hmm. I don't ever make jokes better. That's the first. The first joke is the best joke. Okay, that's good. That's good. And what about magical realism? Um, so magical realism is, this, this book has more magic than my first book did. Um, my first book also has, like, uh, the, the mother in the book drowns while she's sleepwalking, um, but she actually goes sleep swimming every night. So there's some magic in there, too. Um, I, I like to write in this um, space between... Like, I, I don't write fantasy, mm-hmm. and I don't really write things that are really, really all that magical, but I like to take collect, collect things that are in this category of what I call, can you believe this really happened? Yes. Um, and, like, sleepwalking is one of those things, um, and so is, uh, you know, a talking parrot is in my first book. Um, and in this book, I it's really a collection of, coincidences and then um she does is born with a condition called charismata ayamaton which means gift of healing hands um and that is actually mentioned in the bible a couple times so i i take things that are like in our world Mm -hmm. and and then sort of smash them together to make it feel even more magical than our our real world is um and that's just sort of like my how i play with storytelling you know it's, it's um it can be so much greater than uh, real life. Yes. 
Did you have a fondness for uh, Dr. Doolittle as a kid? You know, I um, I don't, I never saw like those shows, and I, I'm sure I saw the Eddie Murphy movie, but I don't okay. remember it that much, um, and I, I didn't, I so, no, okay. I, I always loved animals and probably always wanted to be Dr. Doolittle. I loved James Harriet's books, the, those books about being a veterinarian, yes. um, which are not as fantastical. But um, okay. I, I, I've always loved animals. I've loved, I'm always the person who wants to meet your dog before she wants to meet your baby. Um, <laughs> That's cute. Any advice for people that are struggling as writers? Um, they, you know, they feel the pressure of people saying, "Oh, you must be so creative in the pandemic because you have all this time in isolation." Any advice? Yeah, time is your enemy. What you need is structured time. Um, yeah. So this is the one thing I learned between my first book and my second book um, is that um, me and my friend signed a contract, and we have a podcast about it called "Here to Save You" podcast, um, and it's it's just about we signed a contract to sort of like commit to two hours a day of writing and then we would, you know, tell the other one done. Um, and so okay. structured time and routine is, is really, it's kind of the same thing as like as taking a shower. It, it yeah. frees up your creative mind to do things because it's, uh, it doesn't have like an expansive time is a bad thing for your brain. Whereas deadlines and chunks of time just disconnected from the internet is, I agree. is good for your brain. Completely. So where can people find out more about your book, Annie? Um, hopefully it will be in any bookstore that you go into. It's called Unlikely Animals. Um, and then my website is AnnieHartnett.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for calling the show. Congratulations. Thank you for having me. This Absolutely. was great. That was Annie Harnett. We were talking about her brilliant new book, Unlikely Animals. If you missed any part of this conversation, it will be up on the show blog within an hour after I wrap, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And you can read all about her right now on the show blog. If you want to find out about being a guest, just send me an email to Janine at, at uh, excuse me, at Janine at kuci.org. That's J-A-N-E-A-N-E at kuci.org.